Anyway, look, it's good to connect with you. You too. So do you want to pray first? Yeah. Yeah. Father God, I just lift up this appointment to you at um, what is like, I don't know, 8 p.m. in Ireland. What time is it with you? It is 4 o'clock. Four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, okay. So not that far behind. But I lift up this connection, Lord, and I pray for a divine connection that will give glory to you. Because no matter what my story is or Lisa's story, um, ultimately, we only speak out loud. Well, yes, to reach out to other survivors, but ultimately to give glory to God and to point to Jesus as the only healer. Um, I've seen so many healing um, methods and... Uh, for me, I don't know how people even stay alive without Jesus. So let just bless this time, Lord. Let it be the first connection of a, of a few. And let us um, meet on common ground and take ground from the enemy. Because the Bible says everywhere we set our foot um, belongs to the kingdom. And I believe that on the internet, that everywhere we leave a digital footprint belongs to the kingdom of, of God. Amen. 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 So nice to meet you. I've been looking. Yeah, you to too. Let me turn my volume up. I'm not hearing you very loud. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's better. I think I had okay. my yeah, I had my speaker turned down low. Okay, so you're good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know your story. Okay. Can you? Do you feel up to sharing it? Yeah, I want to share it in a different way. Um, okay. Because. Uh, I've moved home 49 times over seven countries and three continents. I've lived in America, I've lived in Europe, I've lived in, um, where was the other one, Northern Africa. Anyway, you know, 49 house moves in my lifetime. And um, so it's very easy for me to get disconnected. Um, I've watched many of your shows and a couple of them, I've kind of gone, you know, because I've got trust issues. But ultimately, I think what melted my heart was your husband's um, testimony. And then the joint testimony you did last week, you and your husband together. And um, at first, I was like, okay, well, only one in... 10,000 SRA survivors are blessed enough to have a Christian um, husband who will be so empathic. And, and then I felt convicted because I was married to somebody who became a Christian. Um, 
And after 10 years marriage, I left, I left. And I, so I was feeling really shamed. You know, when your husband was saying things like, don't leave your post and so on and so forth, I was feeling really shamed that, oh my goodness, maybe I shouldn't have left my marriage. But then on reflection, um, I suspect my ex-husband was also MK Ultra and dissociative. And he was hugely narcissistic and abusive. He didn't beat the crap out of me, but he would everything else. So everything else. So, you know, sometimes he would punch so close to my face that it would whistle. I could oh, wow. I could hear a whistle past my ear where he just missed punching me. And um you know, he would do crazy stuff like headbutt the cupboards and um Wow. Yeah. So but I want to go back to the beginning and what I wanted to do with you because I I have been diagnosed with DID. I'm I'm sixty-five. Um and I I grew up the first twelve years of my life my father was in the British Royal Air Force. So I was a military child. Um, and so, so with 49 moves and with DID, I hadn't managed yet to tell my story in a, in a, a uh, what's, you, you know, in a way that makes sense. I can't, like since 2009, I've had publishers offering to publish my story and I can't put it down in writing so far. So the way I've disclosed so far has been to tell my story along with the research I've done and the proof I've found. And... Um, I want to do it differently. I want to just tell, like I can tell in a part two or with backup evidence, I can tell the research I found and the corroborative evidence, but um, I want to tell it just from what I remember. So so I was born in 1957 in a military hospital in Germany, um, RAF Wegberg. It was a catchment hospital, not just for the British Royal Air Force, but the American um, army and, um, and also civilians. So, and for civilians in three countries. So Aria Fegberg. So I was born there and um my mother told me I was born at 3:30 in the morning on the same ward as my sister was born 11 months earlier at 3:30 in the morning the same ward the same cot the same time and um I was declared a sickly child to the point that I wasn't, 
I was kept in hospitals, military hospitals, for the most part of my first five years. And I wasn't allowed to do physical exercise um, for my first 12 years, which wow. was, yeah, yeah. But what I discovered uh, with hindsight was there was no reasonable explanation for keeping me in hospital and allegedly disabled all that time. So when I said to my mother, you know, why, why, why did I spend, because my mother used to say it like a family legend or, or joke. Oh, she spent more time in hospital than she did not for the first five years of her life. And when, like decades later, I said, Mum, why? And she said, oh, oh, uh, you used to get bronchitis every time you were teething. You know, it was just a thing with you. You just got bronchitis. And and then I'm like, but you don't teeth until you're five, you know. So, you know, and even even with being not allowed to do any sports or exert myself in any way until I was 12, when I finally rebelled and said, I don't care, I want to participate in life. I want to, you know, I would be in hospital and, and I would hear my sisters outside playing and and I couldn't understand why, why am I in this, you know, like, why am I in a cocoon? And I suspect it was for projects and experiments, but... I'm going to try not to hypothesize too much. So so we came back from the military posting in Germany and then we were in limbo and then we were finally posted um, different places. And um, the first eight years of my life is the hardest. That's the part I have written a draft copy of a book of part two of my life, which would be more like from 12 to 25. But the first eight or 12 years were really hard because um, there was, it was all fractured memories. So it was only half memories. And that only made sense to me decades later when I found out about drugging. I never suspected for a minute I always thought I must be crazy because I can remember the beginning of something and maybe the middle and the end, but it it's never a complete memory. So I thought I'm crazy, you know. Uh, 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 yeah. yeah. So in the early years, I had memories of things like in the hospital memories, I always felt happy. And I didn't realize there was such a thing as happy pills. So even though I would have a sensation of being paralyzed from the neck down, but I had a memory of being very happy. <laughs> wow. And I had no idea that could be drug induced, you know. So I would have memories of things like um, only my brain is working. The whole of my body is paralyzed. 
and I felt I felt like I was just an observer and um I would observe like doctors and nurses in white coats around my bed talking amongst themselves and um I just felt like a goldfish in a goldfish bowl and but 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 the happy what I reflect were happy pills so I didn't concern myself I just thought oh well you know so then one of the postings when I was five like my father was 25 years in the British Royal Air Force even though he was Irish Catholic ostensibly um one of the postings was Gibraltar, REF Gibraltar, from age five to eight. That's my age there. And there were more um, fractured memories and um, interrupted memories. So there were things like my sister and I, and we would have been about six and seven at this time, I have an absolutely clear memory that we were in a very dodgy, what I would call a shebeen. It's like a very dodgy, secret, dark bar. You know, drinking den, maybe drug den, I don't know. And um, and she and I were given a Coke and a Fanta, and we were, part of our programming was, you know, starvation. So... To us, a Coke and a Fanta was like a treat once a year. And we were given a Coke and a Fanta, but for some reason, um, I don't know if it was my sister um, that was 11 months older than me, for some reason we got alarm bells and we ran out of this tiny little dingy bar. And we ran for our lives and we didn't finish our Coke or our Fanta. And and the owner chased us and said, come back here, come back here. And it's only with hindsight that I thought, how were we at six and seven alone in a bar running from a Coke and a Fanta? And again, with hindsight, I believe they were drugged. I believe my father dropped us off there. I believe we were being trafficked. But if I take out all my suspicions, you know, why were we being, you know, why were we alone in that situation and running for our lives, you know? So there were many, there there was much water torture as well because Gibraltar is on, um, Gibraltar, I don't know if you know, but it's like, you know, it's, 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 the bottom of Spain, it's a British colony and there's water everywhere and it's across the way from Morocco. And so there were several water traumas. So, for instance, I got swept out to sea on a lilo um, and then my siblings and I, especially my sister that was 11 months older, we had... Um, uh, Drowning memories. Uh, it was almost like a game. Who could who could breathe the longest whilst underwater? And um, 
there there was another water trauma in Gibraltar where the boat my father had myself and my I think yeah my sisters I'm one of five girls one is dead um but at least four of us were out on this boat and it was um a storm warning and um I had my baby sister in my arms in the rowing boat and when a giant wave came over the boat in panic I opened my arms and I let go of her and it seemed that she got swept out to sea and um and uh but as it happened my father managed to upturn the boat from over our heads and even though my sister my baby sister's red ribbon out of her hair had got swept out to sea but the baby was actually in front of him and he managed to pull her up and it wasn't all of my sisters because it was myself anyway we got rescued and we got our lungs pumped of water and the baby didn't get swept out to sea but there were several water traumas like near death experiences like that and then my my mother tells that um that when i was i don't know a year or so um my father got maybe two i don't know my father got told to come home immediately i wasn't going to make it i was going to die you know i wasn't going to live through the night so even though my mum was in ireland and my dad was in germany he got flown home um because allegedly i wasn't going to make it through the night and but but there was no real explanation for my being a sickly child it was like oh she has asthma bronchitis pneumonia pleurisy blah 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 but there was like no real i don't know it was weird it was weird um and then there was another time I'm probably fast forwarding here, but there was another time when my father was called to my deathbed. And this time I was like 20 at university in Warwick. And uh, I'd got pneumonia. And um, my father was told, you better come quick. We don't think she's going to make it. And apparently my father said, and he admitted this, no, no, I can't deal with death. I don't like I can't be dealing with that, you know, I'm I'm not coming. And and on that occasion, um, I left my body. I was in the hospital in Warwickshire and my mother and the doctor and the nurse were there by the bed and apparently my temperature went off the charts. And I remember my body floating out, my spirit floating out of my body up to the ceiling and I looked down and I could see my body in the hospital bed and I could see them panicking. And then a nurse, when she ran and she came back with a fan because my temperature had gone off the charts, right? And the nurse came back with a fan and she put the fan on me. And as I was up on the ceiling, I thought, how kind. <laughs> I thought, how very kind. How did she know I was hot? It was like I was literally, I was, I know. And so 
from that one act of kindness of this nurse's desperation not to declare me as flatlined, um, I came back down. I literally came back down into my body, you know, and that there was another out-of-body experience where I got involved with a cult, American cult, Est, it was called originally, and then it was called The Forum, and now it's called Landmark Institute. But it it was a spin-off from Scientology. And um, so I was in a, a weekend seminar. I was involved with them for 10 years, sadly, before I realised it was a cult. But I was in one of their seminars in London, and they induced people to go back to a it was very dangerous actually to go back to a memory when you were really angry or or whatever and I went back to one of my multiple abuse memories and uh, I dissociated and I left again left my body and went up to the ceiling and uh and I didn't, I and and I panicked because I didn't. I've never, I've never tried to induce astral travel. I've never tried, you know. So so anyway, the only experience I'd had out of body was the hospital one, but this time they asked you to go back to a memory, and I went back to a memory, and it was being abused, you know, and um. And it triggered me so badly that my spirit left my body and went up to the ceiling. And then up in the ceiling, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I can't get back in. I can't get back in. What have I done? Why Why have I left my body? I'm in real big trouble here. I don't know how to get back in. And um, fortunately, even though they were new age and they were, you know, they were actually satanic, you know, Werner Erhard, Jack Rosenberg was trained under Jack Parsons, who was trained under Alistair Crowley and so on. Um, but he knew how to get somebody back from the astral plane. So they talked us down and said, you know, you're sitting in a chair, your feet are on the ground, you know, the people around you. And I did, I did manage to get back in my body, but it, it really put me off trying to astral travel or leave my like I still do suffer from dissociation but I would never willingly even though I have crazy memories of flying as a child <laughs> but I would never willingly say let me leave my mortal coil um, and I remember learning because I was getting attacked by some really heavy duty satanists and witches and i remember studying and finding out that um you know they they can have their silver coil cut off if they're out of the body um doing evil things um you know, we can command, I don't know if you agree with this theologically, but I believe we could command the silver coil to be cut 
and thus they could not re-enter their bodies. And there's there's there there are Christians out there that say that that is how Anton LaVey died, that he was attacking somebody outside of his body and that person and a prayer group behind him commanded the silver coil to be cut and Anton LaVey never, never, he didn't survive, he died, you know. I saw that testimony only last week. But I've gone off, I've gone off track. Um, I wanted to... So so the first five years I was allegedly in hospital more than out and the only memories I have are fractured. That's the truth. And like I said, they're coloured with this happy, uh, happy, and I didn't realise what it was, that even as children um, were being experimented on, they were being given happy pills. So even as I felt paralyzed from the neck down. Um, but I remember a happy feeling. So it's very confusing. It's like trauma bonding. It's very, it's like double programming. It's like pain is pleasure. Pleasure is pain. You know, it's like upside down, back to front. So could you feel what they were doing to you even when you were paralyzed? No. And that, and that's, that's the thing that tortures me is that the most horrific of like i can tell you about abuse um and those memories are real but i feel so angry that much of my memory bank is uh i can't access it and it makes me furious it makes me so angry um, because I would like to access my memories in order to, to process them and heal from them. And, and you know, I've asked God for that. Like, so I do remember things like, like m my father died in July this year, six days short of being 96. And... Um, so I I still feel a great deal I still feel a great deal of shame for disclosing about my parents and my siblings and my extended family, but I come from five generations of abusers or abused that I know and can vouch for personally you know starting with my grandfather my Irish grandfather but there still is this feeling of shame that uh you know how could you speak about your family that way how could you bring you know how could you wash the dirty laundry in public how could you bring such shame to the family name and you know, I've got people accusing me of um, doing it for money or for bitterness or, or you know, and, and it, anyway. So let me just try and go back chronologically. So I have fractured memories all through the hospital memories. Like I said, there's just this 
sense of being paralyzed, this awareness of men in white coats and nurses around me, and this sort of overglow of happy, you know, nonsensical happy, which I now put down to drugging. But there there was also things like um frozen memories like um my mother would there were five little girls um she had eight pregnancies three which didn't come to fruition and five little girls and so I one frozen memory is um my mother would bath us and then she would hand us over one by one to my father to dry us uh so you would think that was quite a jolly memory. It's like a mum and a dad bathing the children. How lovely. But not really. It was, it. you know, that I remember being touched inappropriately, even as a toddler, you know, a baby, like little. And being shocked, you know, just... Things that would groom you and normalize and breach your boundaries so that you would think, okay, that's normal. Um, and then um, I remember other disturbing things, and I don't want to, because I've heard that even people like Hillary Clinton, um, there are some people that are titillated by hearing details of um, abuse survivors' testimony. So I don't want to get too graphic um, because I don't want to titillate perverts. But I remember very inappropriate um, just memories, you know, eight and under that, that were just inappropriate, you know, just not age. I don't want to go into detail, but like just thinking that's so weird, you know, that there were also things like my parents would, um, they would put us with people like, <sighs> There was a lot of programming going on. I don't know if you're familiar with Carolyn Hamlet, but she's done some very good work on um, programming of generationally uh, generational abuse survivors and MKUltra programmed um, children. So there was a lot of programming in terms of hunger. Like I remember being hungry most of my uh, early childhood, you know, hungry to the point of torture, really. Um, and I remember things like um, animal torture, uh, you know, like taking a, a bird with a broken wing to my dad, thinking, oh, let's save this bird and put it in a shoebox with cotton wool and feed it with a you know a, a dropper and it'll you know I was reading Bunty or you know 
um, Enid Blyton books and so on. And then my dad just karate chopping it dead in front of me. That's another, like the water torture thing. There's probably loads of incidents, but the animal um, cruelty thing as well was very significant. Um, uh, you know, the, the little bird being karate chopped dead and, um, you know, I had a beautiful parrot that, that died and, um, you know, my sister and I were giving a pony and then, and then a year later it was sold and we were devastated and, um, j just, I don't know, lots of, my father bred gun dogs. He was internationally known a bit like, he was internationally recognized as a top breeder and trainer of gun dogs for the elite. So it was like German shorthead pointers, Springer Spaniels. Um, he was a gun, he was a dog breeder and trainer and whisperer. Um, and yet we would always, you know, he would beat them terribly and uh, we would always get complaints from the neighbours. But um, so there was a lot of animal trauma growing up. But um, th there was also some very disturbing memories up to the age of eight. Oh, that's the point I was going to make, was my parents would go on holiday. So they would, with five little girls, they would randomly go to Canada for three weeks or New York, you know, you know, where they had different family members and they would just parcel us children out to various people. And because we were in the Royal Air Force, we moved every three years. So there was no stability of who, you know, who was your support network. So we would just be farmed out to different people while they went on holiday and, um, you know, so that the worst, the biggest sin I feel that the that they in the MK Ultra programs and what my father I believe volunteered us into, the biggest sin was drugging, because if I could remember, this is why I'm so, I'm so, well, you know I can't like the fact that you were able to have your flashbacks, even though they put you flat on your back and incapacitated you. But I I say to God, please, can I have my memories back? You know, because, you know, that, that that's, um, why should anybody hijack my mind, you know? And so that fascinated me with your story and with so many others that, you might not remember for years, you know. Um, so I'm 65. I started, I mean, some memories I definitely had, like up to eight. There's just a lot of alarming things like, um, you know, I should document them, but the hospital memories, the, the, um, the strange things like why are my sister and I at six and seven alone in a bar running for our lives and um, 
you know, why are we getting beaten? Why are we being left alone? Um, why are we starving every day? Um, why are we left with strangers? There's there's more questions than answers in the first eight years. And then when we came back from Gibraltar, when I was about eight, it actually got a bit more sinister. And that's where I have more cognizant memories of starting to be sexually abused. Um, you know, by multiple, multiple people. Uh, even even going to Gibraltar when I was about five my mother was in a military hospital in the UK with my younger sister who'd just been born and so my mother was left behind but us four older girls were to be brought by my father to REF Gibraltar when I was five and um, and that there was all, always whenever my mother wasn't there there was always this shady mysterious man who would be another REF person who would accompany my father and help supervise us children like we were chattel or cattle and so the four of us were we were supposed to be flown to Gibraltar and mum was supposed to join us two or three weeks later with the new baby. So my dad and four little girls, aged like three, five, six and seven, were being flown out to a military base in Gibraltar. And then, and then there was this weirdness and then we were taken to REF Lynham and then they said we'd missed the flight. And then I have a very clear memory that they put myself and one of my sisters, the one that was 11 months older, they put us in a cot, a crib, at 11.30 at night. They said, oh, you missed the flight, but don't worry, we'll get you tomorrow. You'll be able to go tomorrow, everything's fine, here's a bottle. I think they gave us a bottle each and they put us in a crib but we were five and six, and I remember thinking, or maybe even saying, why are you, we're too big for, you know, we're too big for this. Why are you putting us in a crib? And why are you putting two of us in together? And then I blacked out. So the next thing I remember, so this was 11.30 at night, and I'm saying I'm too big for a cot. We call it a cot in England. I'm too big for a cot. And why are you putting me and my sister in a cot together? The next memory I have is like at least 12, probably 18 hours later, coming down to land in Gibraltar on November the 5th. I have no memory. This is this is the thing. There's so much what I suspect to have been drugging. There was so much drugging. Like I could have... a absolutely crystal clear memory um and then 18 hours is missing so you know probably 18 hours later i i have a clear clear memory of coming down to land in ref gibraltar on november the 5th in 1963 or something um 
and of course you know at that young age I don't <clears throat> I don't think where have the last 18 hours gone you don't sure you know you don't think about lost time so from eight to 11 was back in the UK and one of the memories I have in that time is of being uh, human hunted. I have more than one memory of running for my life, but one very clear one um, uh, in the woods on a military base and running and thinking my heart is going to just pound out my chest <coughs> and then finally falling face down and then coming to face up with a circle of men around me ejaculating I don't know if it was urine or semen but about six men around me in a circle in a forest with me on my back and I my brain took a snapshot because one of the men was in a army uniform and because I'd grown up in the air force for some reason my childish brain aged nine or something thought oh you know he shouldn't, he shouldn't be here. <clears throat> what, why is there an army man here? It was a man in a full army general's uniform. And I don't know to this day if it was urinating or ejaculating. Sorry to be graphic. But decades later, I saw that man in the newspapers in the UK who was a lord of the realm and one of the most senior generals in the British army. And I saw him and it was him. Yeah, it was him. It was like, because the only reason my childish mind took a snapshot age nine was because we used to sing this song in Gibraltar, armies, barmy, navies, crazy, yup, the RAF, you know, like it was a thing. So, even though I'd been hunted, drugged, abused, um, but but the the thing my brain did was why is one of the men doing this wearing an army uniform? So um yeah, so 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 that's an overview of the first twelve years, eleven years, um it's so scant because when we lived in Germany, my parents chose as a godmother for me a woman whose husband was already a convicted um, sex offender. <coughs> and then they sent me for holidays there for a month every summer from I was about 11 or 12, allegedly to learn German. Um, but the paedophile just abused me daily for a month each summer there. 
And then my Irish grandfather was not just a paedophile, but a sadist. Um, he did so many rituals, things like um, having the children hold an electric fence, um, uh, having having them be put in a coffin. He kept a coffin in his house. Uh, and the story was, oh, it's some fella out the road is terrified of getting a pauper's burial. So he bought the good coffin and we mined it for him so he doesn't die, you know, a pauper's death. But it was used for torture um you know i have aunties that said they were put in the coffin i have aunties that said they were held over a 20 foot 30 foot drop they were held over the wall um you know in in terror of being dropped um things like even goats that would goats that were really aggressive like my grand my Irish granddad used to laugh his head off we used to go home to visit once a year and the goats would chase you and ram you with their horns and he used to think that was hilarious and um just just sadism just uh just Funny, but not funny. I don't know if you had that in your family, but where there would be some cruelty committed, but it would be like, oh, that's just funny. Don't be so serious. Lighten up, you know, like, ha, ha, ha. Look what, you know, this thing of, I find this in, in the American psyche a bit. I, I studied English and American literature and I lived in America for five years. Um, and I find this thing of roasting people and hazing. Are you familiar with hazing? You know, hazing is like initiation into a secret society or a gang or whatever. So, and I find that quite disturbing. Even, even today, like I listen to quite a few American podcasts and, um, Sometimes the level of um, hazing or teasing or roasting or whatever I find, even especially like even amongst veterans and in the military, where you're supposed to be able to take a roasting, but it's actually ritual sadism, in my opinion, you know. Sure. Yeah. So, so from also in the early years there was a lot of uh like we were educated by nuns in a very jesuit influence my auntie my dad's sister one year older than him was a very very senior nun in jesuit orders order um the mother house was an ex Benedictine monastery in um, Saint-Sauveur-le-Vicomte in Normandy in France <clears throat> and I was sent there 
two or three times. They thought I might become a nun. And um, it had dungeons with, you know, where where the nuns would beat themselves with whips or sleep on beds of nails or um, uh, there was a lot of um, masochism, weird weirdness. Uh, Obeisance jusqu'à la mort. That was the the um, the motto for the convent, um, and and it was it was like my my. I, they tried to recruit me to be a nun, and I I declined, and they. They also recruited my cousin, but I'll try not to tell other people's stories, but she ended up having nervous breakdowns and finally left left that order. But um, so my auntie, the nun, and, and that's, that's as much, my auntie, the nun, who became mother provincial and mother superior and blah, 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 and like, you know, working in Africa and France and who knows where else. But um, so, so when we came back to England, there, there were all sorts of experiments going on, like gifted child experiments and observations. And so we were still, somehow the military was paying for us to get the very best private education with nuns. So it was ridiculous. It was like, you know, anyway. Um, you know, we would do elocution lessons and um, deportment and... Um, you know, a lot of it was a very good education. Um, but it was also, it was also like, it was, um, I don't know, it was like, it was programming. It was programming. And, and uh, I can remember I went to, well, we went to convents all the way through from I was four or five in Gibraltar. And then Princess Risborough, and then Bath, um, Caution, and so on. Um, but I can remember strange things happening along the way as well. So I feel like that's quite a breakthrough for me to share as much as I have for the first part. The next portion of my life was from like uh 11 to 30 and it was very glamorous and exciting where i kept getting placed around aristocracy and royalty um lords and ladies princesses um bcci saudi royals blah 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 glamorous you know but but it all felt very engineered. But that that's about as much as I feel able to do. Like the hardest thing for me to be able to disclose so far, Lisa, 
has been the first 12 years, the first eight to 12 years. Um, and I and I didn't go into great detail, but I haven't been able to go into any detail except for my research. I've leaned on my research. And maybe in a later video, the research is mind-blowing because it was MKUltra, it was Mengele-type experiments, it was military involvement. You know, I've got all the backup evidence, but I just wanted to say what I remember, and more importantly, what I don't remember. So um, I don't know if you're willing to come alongside for a few <clears throat> a few videos um but that 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 feels like part one to me yeah i would be honored and i am sorry for all you've gone through i mean what you remember is staggering to me just just the little bits that you've told me and i i do see intersections with my story in yours it's like yeah, yeah. Like my brother and I, I remember who could hold their breath longer underwater. And I yep. just could always beat him there. Yep. You know? Yep. I do Things believe like that. that was absolute programming. Absolute sure. programming. Like who and, does that? You know? Yeah. That's not normal. No. Yeah. And um, another thing was terrorizing. I remember another memory in Gibraltar where my baby sister, the one that was left behind when we were transported out there with no memory, you know, with memory loss for 18 hours. But um, my at the Rock of Gibraltar, you could go to the very top and there's a, a restaurant thing and it wasn't very safety orientated in the 60s. And my father sat my baby sister. She could only have been about a year old, maybe 18 months, but I don't think that old. And he sat her on the t on the wall over like a cliff that could have, you know, that was like thousands of feet drop. And he watched my mother absolutely disintegrate with terror. And my dad got off on that. He, he just delighted in that um, sadism, torture thing. You know, there was a lot, there's a lot, to go into in sibling programming and um, horrification is something I've called it in the past is like um, to breed you to uh, endure over endure horror over endure terror like you know there are only so many traumas you can go through and then as a child you just think oh this is normal like you know, we just almost died again. Oh, well, you know, that's normal. And it, and it's just to, I think it's to cause dissociation. So, yeah, I do feel an affinity. I have, I have her, I've, I've listened to you a lot and I, my heart breaks for what you went through as well. And um, my goal is to, yeah, I want to recover some memories and I don't want to die alone. I don't. I do feel that this has had a lifetime. This is what I see with you and your husband is victory in as much as 
um you know you've overcome you've overcome you'll never lose your scars but you've overcome and um and even at 65 i want i don't want to die a broken ragdoll so the next time we connect you know it's all very exciting it's about how i got placed and this is the thing that is so hard to understand is that you can become an asset if you've been in a project orchestrated by the military you can become an asset and you turn out to be a puppet and for decades and you have no idea i had no idea why i kept ending up in the situations i ended up in um you know, shades of Kathy O'Brien and uh, Bryce, uh, Susan Ford, uh, shades of that, just how did I get here? But my ultimate goal is to, because I'll be honest, I wrestle with suicidal ideation even at this stage of my life. I do. I wrestle with suicidal ideation. I wrestle with addiction issues. I smoke cigarettes. I... I drink alcohol, I, I, uh, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I have to fight the good fight daily. I have to speak scriptures. I wake up with self-loathing. I was saying to myself this morning, you know, I was, it reminded me of your husband. I was just speaking scriptures back to myself that, um, you know, God knew me before, you know, before I was even knit together in the womb. And um, he called me, he chose me. Um, He forgives me, he loves me, he died for me, he rose again for me. I had to just affirm that he loves me. You know, it's a day by day thing, even at even at 65, you know, and I've done a lot of work um, towards healing and towards reaching out to other survivors and in journalism and, um, but I reached out to you because I feel broken again. And um, I don't know, I just sensed um, a sister in the Lord. I'm so glad you did. I want you to know that when God knits us together in the mother's womb and then we're born into a family like we were, that moment that we were born, they start fighting to pull apart who we were made to be. So think you're 65 years old now, and even the husband that you married was pulling apart all these wonderful things that God put in you. So pulling it out, pulling it out, pulling it out, pulling it out till you're broken because that's what the enemy does. He comes to kill, to steal, and to yeah. destroy. Yeah. So and like there could be addictions and there can be suicidal ideation and all sorts of things. But still, who you are is still very strongly inside of you. And as God heals you, and he always does, he will put you together in ways that you don't even know is in there yet. And you will be delighted to find out who Angie is. 
and that's still coming and you will love her and she will be wonderful and she is not broken. She is still whole inside of you waiting to be found. <laughs> Better late than never. All right. It Lisa. is. Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, let's do this again. Um, I would love to, but I don't want to leave you like this. I'm a little bit worried. A, no, no, there's no need to be worried. Um, I've lived with this for a long time. Um, and I actually feel better for trying to verbalize to somebody from experience the early years. So I actually feel like we've done we've done good work. I'm okay. Good. Um, and it's good to cry. Yeah. Um, cry. and I appreciate you and what you do. And um, I would just like to schedule this maybe once a week until until you know maybe two or three times it might take to get it out all of it and and like the first few years are not you know they're patchy and and all i have is a sense of frustration that i don't have all of my memories you know and a sense of anger with people that say you know similar to yourself it's like oh why didn't you know why did it take you so long to you know, remember and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the whole discrediting thing that they do with satanic panic and everything. And they have no idea what it is to be fractured by torture. Um, you know, so. Um, it's a horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that's it. To feel broken and then. I, I I get that feeling of I can't even get to my memories so that yeah. I can heal. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I do I do surrender and I do say to God sometimes like, okay, so I might not have the full picture till I get to heaven, but um you know, for as long as I'm here, I'd like to recover my memories because they're mine. You know, my father's dead, my mother's dead, Lord Bramall's dead. You know, most of my perpetrators are dead. Um, but I, I, I suppose on some level, not just my own healing, but for others that have this horrific sense of something bad really happened, but I only have half the memory, I want people to feel that you're not crazy, you're not making this up, you know, you're not, um, you know, when I found out about scopolamine and um, different drugs <clears throat> for memory wiping and electroshock treatment and so on, it was like, oh, for goodness sake, that that's why, that's why the memories are all fractured, that's why you remember running in the forest, you remember falling over, then there's a blank, then you remember waking up and then blah, blah, blah. And I, I just used to think because I can't remember everything, I must be imagining this, you know? Nope. So that's it. So I think, I think we did good for part one and I appreciate, and maybe, you know, you, you pick a day and a time cause I know you're very, well, I'm busy too, to be honest, I am busy, but Let's just make it work that we can connect um, 
Does know, this time work for you on Fridays? Yeah, yeah, that was good. It was like, what was it, like 8 o'clock? Yeah, I made it work. It it did work. Like I, Okay. It was different for me from my normal schedule, but it actually worked very well. So thank you. Yeah. Welcome. Thanks for being flexible. I appreciate it. Yeah, okay. So talk Thanks to you next for... week. And yeah. you can, I'll send you, I'll send you this, I'll send you this and you're welcome to upload it. I was afraid of being vulnerable or being trolled or being attacked or whatever, but that's just fear. And God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. That's right. So do you want me just to hold all of them until the future? No, I think we should release them one at a time, but I'd like you okay. to pray, pray us out if you don't mind. Okay, first, do you want me to put your whole name, just Angie? How do you want me to do this? Let's start off with Angie, because even though Disney was part of the whole PSYOP thing, I was married to a Disney. I am divorced. Um, but yeah, let's start with just Angie, because I will get trolled. That's just par for the course, because... I expose ritual abuse as you do, you know? So yeah, let's start with Angie and I'll send you this link, but if you could pray us out, I would appreciate that and that will help Absolutely. me sleep easy. Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so, so much. I thank you for Angie. Lord, I thank you that she is here. Father, I just ask for your angels about her to keep her in all her ways, to lift her up lest she dash her foot against the stone. Father, that you would keep her safe. Father God, I just break any kind of suicidal programming off of her right now in the name of Jesus, and I speak safety to her. Lord, that your peace that passes understanding would guard her heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Lord, that she would lay down and rest tonight and that she would be able to sleep and wake up refreshed in the morning. God, that you would just speak to her, that you would speak to her heart, and Lord, that you would bring healing to her into the innermost recesses of her brain, in the innermost recesses of her emotions, in her heart. Father, Lord, we just break off the alcohol, we break off the addictions, Lord, the smoking. Father, everything that you need to take off of her, Lord, we just ask that you would release her. Father God, the fear that would be gone in Jesus' name. And Lord, that she would be able to trust in you like she never has before, that she would see how good you are. Lord, that you are the good guy in her story, that you are there to rescue her and get her out every single time. And Father God, I just thank you for putting us together. Help me to be able to encourage her and support her in any way I can. And Lord, we just thank you that, Lord, she's going to be fully Angela, who you've created her to be, and that she will fall in love with who you have made her to be and lord we just call in a special person for her that she will not be alone that she will be loved that she will be cared for and that she will be safe and lord we just break off any demonic forces or spirits with any attacks in any way shape or form we break their power and we say be gone in jesus name and any curses we call down as blessings on her head and Father, we just speak protection to this technology and to this recording. And Lord, that would go out and bless people and minister to them, Father, and help them. And the people that need to hear it, that they would. We break off trolls in their powers. Yeah. And Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. And Lord, that you are exposing the Luciferian kingdom and all the darkness that it has done. And that you are bringing it to light. 
and I just thank you for that. You get to trust us to be a part of that. Amen. Lord, just use us. Here we are. We Amen. thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was beautiful. Thank you so much, Lisa. You're I'm welcome. gonna go to Anything bed. Anything I can do to help you, you just let me know, okay? All right. I'll talk to you this time next week unless we we say different. All right, sounds good. All right, thank God bless. You. God bless you. Bye.